From the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's program, ERG abnormalities early in the course of Plaquenil. In uh, early stage, basically there were no clinical signs, and uh, in very severe cases, patients can develop um, the characteristic annular uh, retinopathy, or also known as um, the bullseye metallopathy. First this. The Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Lai reports no real or apparent conflicts of interest. Plaquenil maculopathy is an infrequent but serious sequela of systemic hydroxychloroquine therapy. The maculopathy seems to be dose-related and generally does not surface until the patient has been on Plaquenil for at least six years. However, the visual degradation can be substantial and the effects are irreversible. How much better it would be if we could detect subclinical maculopathy earlier in the patient's course of hydroxychloroquine. Dr. Timothy Lai of the Hong Kong Eye Hospital has just published results of a study examining retinal function in patients using hydroxychloroquine therapy by multifocal electroretinogram, or multifocal ERG. Can I ask you first how hydroxychloroquine therapy works? Um, basically, hydroxychloroquine uh, it develops uh, as an antimalarial drug um, previously, it was uh, ba- basically used for treating malaria. However, nowadays, rheumatologists um, are mainly using it to treat um, connective tissue diseases like uh, SLE and rheumatoid arthritis. I don't think the exact mechanism is uh, well known, but um, it's, uh, it's found to be quite effective in treating these diseases. And the reason that hydroxychloroquine is preferred over, let's say, chloroquine, is is that it's it's less retinotoxic? That's right, uh, because um, uh, in the past, uh, people using chloroquine um, found that the estimated risk of retinotoxicity is around uh, 10 to 20 percent uh, in patients taking chloroquine, whereas uh, it's much lower for patients who are taking hydroxychloroquine. Uh, around 3% of patients may develop um, significant retinal toxicity. And therefore, many rheumatologists uh, have already switched patients who were taking chloroquine to hydroxychloroquine. Now, what are the typical clinical signs of hydroxychloroquine maculopathy? Okay, in uh, early stage, um, basically there were no clinical signs and uh, However, patients sometimes may develop uh, mild pigmentary abnormalities of the uh, retinal pigment epithelium. And uh, with the uh, increasing um, um, ocular side effects, um, patients um, may also develop some um, uh, deposits um, at the cornea, and the vortex keratopathy. And um, in very severe cases, patients can develop um, the characteristic annular uh, retinopathy, or also known as um, the bullseye maculopathy. And what is the incidence of maculopathy uh, with, um, with hydroxychloroquine? Um, it's what's estimated to be uh, up to around 3% in patients. And uh, it's also related to whether they were uh, belonging to some high-risk uh, group. Right, that, that's, that's exactly what, what I was going to ask next. What are the factors that correlate with the development of maculopathy? Um, 
In a report previously um, published by uh, Marmer in uh, ophthalmology in 2002, um, it was listed out as some high-risk features um, of patients who might develop retinopathy. And these include um, patients who were taking a higher dose of hydroxychloroquine, like uh, greater than 6.5 milligrams per kilogram per day, and also um, patients who had been taking hydroxychloroquine for more than five years, um, patients who had um, high fat level, or patients with concomitant liver or renal disease, and also older patients um, aged greater than 60 years. What are the clinical parameters that are currently being used to monitor patients uh, for maculopathy, patients using hydroxychloroquine? Um, <clears throat> traditional measures like um, just basic visual acuity testing, uh, we can use um, MSLA chart. Various MSLA chart has, has been used, like uh, the um, the red MSLA chart or the standard uh, white on black MSLA chart, or um, even the threshold MSLA chart has been recently suggested to be useful. And other parameters include visual field testing. It was suggested that uh, the 10-2 program is very sensitive in picking up uh, these uh, retinopathy, and also. Um, we can um, test the color vision using um, just maybe Ishihara chart or the D15 um, chart, uh, the D15 test, or we can um, perform um, direct of, 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 uh, or indirect uh, binocular indirect ophthalmoscopy on these patients to look for any uh, pigmentary changes. And for the visual field testing, we are we're talking about white stimulus or or the red stimulus testing. Uh, the both has been used, and um, and it also depends um, on whether you can use a threshold test or, um, or or not a threshold test. Let me ask you, what what is multifocal ERG? Okay, uh, multifocal ERG is a, a very useful investigative tool, which um, was um, developed um, in the early 19, uh, 1990s by a and Tran. Basically, it's a mesh uh, technique which can allow simultaneous recording of uh, focal electroretinographic responses from various retinal locations, and they use a um, special technique known as the cross-correlation technique. So um, the patients um, look at a um, display monitor, um, which usually composed of um, about 103 hexagons or more or less, and um, these um, hexagons will um, alternate between uh, the black um, or the white, uh, the bright flashes, and it will stimulate um, the corresponding uh, retinal areas. And then uh, by using um, uh, some kind of electrodes, you can measure the um, responses at the specific location of the retina. How long does this test take typically? It depends on whether you want to um, look at um, it in more details. For example, if you um, using use the standard 103 hexagons, usually the test will last for about um, six to seven minutes for one eye, and you can divide um, the recording into um, multiple segments so that um, patients will each segment will uh, look at the uh, um, the monitor for 15 to 30 seconds. And uh, if you increase the resolution of the, um, 
they monitor, for example, if you use 241 hexagons, you can provide a very good uh, spatial detail of the, um, of the retina. However, the recording will take much longer. So the output from, from this test looks, looks almost like a, a topographic map of the macula, uh, but what, what it's um, providing you is with the um, ERG data localized to specific points on the, on the macula. That's right. Um, basically, it's um, used to testing central 20 to 30 degrees of the um, retina. So it provides a very good uh, functional map for the, um, for the macula. Now, since we're uh, going to be talking about the effects of hydroxychloroquine on multifocal ERGs, let, let me ask you first just to um, tell us what the typical landmarks are on a multifocal ERG. Okay, so um, you have look, can look at uh, various um, uh, specific um, parts of the waveform. So um, the most commonly analyzed um, portion is called the uh, first order components of the multifocal ERG. And um, in the, for the first order component, you have an initial negative wa waveform, which is called the N1, and then um, subsequently followed by a, another peak, which is known as the P1. So uh, you can analyze the amplitude and the latencies for the uh, N1 and P1 waveforms. The N1 waveform is conventionally measured from the baseline to the uh, 12 of the N1, and um, the amplitude for the P1 is usually measured from the 12 of the N1 to the peak of the P1. And what are the features that typically change in hydroxychloroquine toxicity? In hydroxychloroquine toxicity, um, previous studies have suggested that um, there's a, a delay in the P1 uh, peak latency as well as a reduction in the P1 amplitude. And um, for patients who have very severe toxicity, sometimes they would uh, develop the characteristic um, uh, loss in amplitude around this fovea. So um, because we usually analyze the um, multifocal ERG on concentric rings uh, centered on fovea, so for example, ring one is basically um, the central fovea, whereas um, if you progressively move out, to ring six, which is the peripheral retina. So patients may develop a paracentral loss, usually maybe ring two and ring three, um, reduction, specific reduction in that um, amplitude. Now, for this current study, why, why were the patients using hydroxychloroquine? Basically, um, uh, we included uh, 12 patients, and um, eight patients had systemic lupus erythematosus, three patients had uh, rheumatoid arthritis, and one patient had systemic vasculitis, and they were put on treatment by the rheumatologist. Now, can I have you describe the design of your study? Okay, um, this study um, was uh, initially um, carried out as a um, cross-sectional study, but uh, we uh, later record them, so it became a longitudinal study. So um, patient had, um, we recruited uh, 12 pa uh, patients who were recorded for um, reassessment after baseline assessment about um, one to two years later uh, from the baseline recording. And uh, we performed the multifocal ERG on uh, all subjects, so the mean duration of follow-up in the study was about 17 months. 
We also compared um, whether the patients who continue hydroxychloroquine had a decline in um, the multifocal ERG recordings, and we compared um, these results with um, 20 control subjects. Nine of the patients continued therapy. Three, three of the patients yes, stopped therapy actually, during the. Actually, three of them uh, have stopped um, taking hydroxychloroquine, and uh, two were basically um, because of a switch in uh, treatment regimen by the rheumatologist. And one was stopped because uh, she, uh, the patient developed uh, quite um, quite non-specific visual symptoms, and she was not keen to um, continue the therapy. So uh, she spoke with her rheumatologist, and the treatment was stopped. So we also compared these patients to see whether after stopping hydroxychloroquine, uh, there was actually a um, an increase in the amplitude and um, in any changes in the multifocal ERG recording. Now, what were the Findings from your from your study. Okay, so um, at baseline, we found that um, patients who had um, been taking hydroxychloroquine had a significant reduction in the amplitude in both the P1 and and the P1 amplitude uh, for mainly the central range. So uh, N1 would be um, from ring one to four, and P1 uh, and ring two to four. So that's basically the uh, paracentral rings which were affected. And um, after um, looking at the patients who had been continuing uh, hydroxychloroquine, we found that um, there was actually a um, reduction further in the P1 latencies for these patients compared with the control group. So um, at baseline, uh, these, um, there was no delay in, um, latent P, in the P1 latency for the, um, for the patients who were um, were taking hydroxychloroquine, but at the follow-up assessment, there was significant delay in the um, P1 latency for the hydroxychloroquine group compared with control. Um, although these, um, the changes were not very significant, so around about one millisecond, but um, and statistically, uh, and, uh, the statistical analysis was significant. And um, so we also looked at um, other parameters. So uh, as I mentioned before, to see whether uh, the serial comparisons was uh, there any significant changes. So um, just looking at the serial comparisons, we could not see any significant change in the patients who were taking hydroxychloroquine in terms of uh, both the M1 and P1 amplitude. However, for patients who stopped taking hydroxychloroquine, we found that there was a significant in, uh, increase in the amplitude for patients who um, were who stopped taking hydroxychloroquine, and um, this was seen in uh, ring four to six for the N1 amplitude and rings two to six for the P1 amplitude. You found changes in all twelve of the patients. In the three patients who discontinued therapy during the uh, course of the study, the ERG changes all improved, right? Right, yeah, there was an increase in the amplitude for patients who stopped taking hydroxychloroquine. Um, whereas um, for patients who um, continue taking, um, we did not um, see any um, significant changes on the field comparisons. However, if you, re you just take the group, group and compare with the control, um, there were some uh, significant changes uh, com um, compared with the control group. Which factors correlated with ERG changes in your in your study. Uh, for for example, you mentioned at the at the start of this interview that uh, there had been work that demonstrated that uh, age correlated 
with findings? Did, did you find that uh, uh, age correlated with ERG changes here? Uh, we did some analysis to look at whether the um, amplitude or the latencies would correlate with age, but we didn't find any. Uh, however, the total cumulative dose of patients who, had, was, uh, who, were, who were on hydroxychloroquine were found to have significant correlation with the amplitude. Um, so basically, for all range eccentricities, um, we found there was a, a negative, a moderate negative correlation between the total cumulative dose and the M1 and the P1 response amplitude. However, for latency, there was no significant correlation. And we also found that um, uh, patient, we had uh, four patients who were taking more than the recommended dosage of um, 6.5 milligrams per kilogram per day of hydroxychloroquine. And in three of the patients, they had um, quite significant reduction in the amplitude, uh, in the multifocal energy amplitude, despite having having, um, a duration of treatment of less than five years. How do your findings compare with those of other researchers? Okay, um, comparing with um, previous researchers, um, we um, found um, a similar rate of um, multifocal ERG abnormalities. So, for example, in the study um, previously reported by um, uh, So and Associates, uh, it was found that uh, around 50% of patients uh, who had been taking hydroxychloroquine for more than five years had multifocal uh, ERG abnormalities, which is uh, the characteristic pericentral depression in amplitude. Uh, in another study by uh, Maturing and Associates, um, around 58% of patients who had been taking long-term hydroxychloroquine therapy also had multifocal ERG abnormalities. So in our, pay, in our series, at baseline, we had about uh, 21% of patients who had uh, multifocal ERG abnormalities, which increased to uh, around 67% in patients um, who continue hydroxychloroquine therapy at the follow-up assessment. So the rate was um, uh, sort of similar. Here, here, here I think, is the, the sort of bottom line question. As, as you said, clinical maculopathy with these patients is really pretty rare. But from your study and from the other studies that you've mentioned, multifocal ERG changes are very, very common. For example, from, from your study, all 12 of the patients that you looked at had changes. Now, to what extent do you think that these multifocal ERG findings predict the development of clinical maculopathy? Because um, our study is uh, still relatively short-term, so um, I don't think uh, I can conclude firmly uh, based on this study. And uh, if you can uh, refer to the um, excellent uh, editorial by uh, Michael Marmer, uh, which was um, basically um, discussing um, the, some of the limitations of my study, and it's published in the same, um, same, um, same issue of the um, journal um, in AJO, and basically, um, I believe that a multifocal ERG can be performed as a baseline test, and then you can uh, have an additional parameter to monitor patients who were taking hydroxychloroquine. 
If there are significant changes, of course, you have to look more carefully at other parameters. For example, um, look at the uh, visual field testing, the 10-2 program, to see whether um, there's actually any significant visual field loss. And also you have to discuss with um, the patient to see whether um, the patient is actually suffering from any um, very severe um, subjective visual symptoms. And uh, most importantly, you have to discuss um, this, uh, your findings with the rheumatologist or the physicians, because uh, if you uh, recommend them to stop the hydroxychloroquine, um, the medical condition may actually worsen because um, it's uh, quite an effective drug in um, treating uh, connective tissue diseases in these patients. So um, you have to um, balance against whether you want to um, stop the patient uh, or prevent the patient to develop any um, veteran toxicity versus whether um, their medical condition, um, um, you want to prevent um, the disabling uh, effects of the connective tissue diseases. Now, what are your recommendations to clinicians vis-a-vis -vis clinical testing? Whether you recommend as a routine that um, ophthalmologists periodically get multifocal ERGs on patients taking uh, these um, medications, whether you think that visual field testing is adequate, what you recommend for patients who are not symptomatic who are on these medications? Mm. So. Um for um, patients who were uh, of the lowest characteristics, um, routine uh, examination uh, might not be very useful, and uh, so it was recommended that uh, patients who um, ha had been taking hydroxychloroquine for less than five years, um, they do not um, need um, routine screening. However, for um, my own population, um, uh, a lot of patients were put on uh, somehow a higher than recommended than dosage because um, most Asian people have um, lower body weight. And um, so if you put the patient on, um, on this kind of uh, therapy, then uh, it's very useful to have an additional tool to monitor the patient because uh, most, a lot of them might be in the high risk group because of, uh, they were taking um, higher dosage of hydroxychloroquine. So for high-risk patients, um, I would certainly recommend that um, they have um, the multifocal ERG performed um, as a baseline and also as a follow-up monitoring tool so that um, if, you, if, uh, if you can see any early um, changes in retinal function as reflected by the multifocal ERG so you can monitor the patient more closely and uh, correlate with uh, other clinical findings. And by and by high dosing, what what you mean is more than six point five milligrams yes, more per kilogram per day. Per kilogram per day. Yeah. What do you do in your own practice? So in my own practice, um, we get a, um, quite a few referral from uh, the physician colleagues. So um, at baseline, we now perform um, the um, ten two automated visual field testing. We perform color vision testing. We perform a thorough ophthalmic checkup, including a and bound microscopy, and um, we also book the patient for a baseline multifocal ERG um, to see whether there's any significant uh, um, reduction at the onset. We also look for any coexisting retinopathies. 
um, because um, patients who had um, other kind of um, maculopathy, for example, early age-related macular degeneration, might be more prone to develop um, hydroxychloroquine toxicity. Um, multifocal ERG is um, quite useful too because um, it's actually an objective tool which can um, which can allow you to look at the retinal function uh, at a specific location, mainly the macula. Uh, whereas if you just depend your results on other tests like visual field testing, which might be quite subjective because um, patients might not be able to um, perform visual field testing very well at some times. So um, with this additional tool, I think it's quite useful to monitor these patients. Dr. Lai, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Josh. Timothy Lai is an ophthalmologist of the Surgical and Medical Retina Unit at the Hong Kong Eye Hospital and an honorary staff member of the Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences of the Chinese University of Hong Kong. His paper, Multifocal Electroretinographic Changes in Patients Receiving Hydroxychloroquine Therapy, appears in the November 2005 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Do you enjoy the programs you hear in this podcast? Why not contribute to the conversation? by calling our listener response lines. Share your expertise about an issue we've discussed by calling our listener lines. In the United States, dial area code 646-808-0231. That's a local New York number. In the United Kingdom, dial 020-7558-8275. That's a local London number. You can also ask questions of any guest who has appeared on the podcast. Your question will be relayed to the guest, and then your question and the guest's answer will appear on the following podcast. Ask questions of Dr. Lai or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States dial 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial 020-7558-8275 or Skype JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website as seenfromhere.com. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.